Good afternoon. It is a blessing and a joy to be here. Very encouraged to have visitors with, with us. Want to know that we are uh, encouraged by your presence. I uh, want to welcome you back uh, uh, at any time, especially next week. Uh, as Jason already mentioned, we're going to have our, our Community Sunday. Going to be focusing on the question, how could a loving God? Uh, talking about the problems of, of evil and suffering within the world and, and uh, seeing God's goodness even through that. But today we want to focus here in Matthew chapter 7. If your Bibles aren't already open there, uh, if you're able to open them there now, we'll be uh, spending most of our time in in this passage here. Judge not that you be not judged. Uh, That's one of the better well-known passages in the Bible. And too often it is misapplied in our culture, but more important to our purposes, unapplied within the church. Um, I'm afraid that my tendency in in reading this passage at at certain times in the past has been to immediately think about all the things that it doesn't mean. Um, In fact, ironically, I was looking on Facebook this morning and there was somebody who posted a post about this passage and about all the cases where it is okay to judge. Um, And I Many times in the past when I read this passage, that, that's my first thing that I think of. Well, well, let's be careful how we apply this. You know, there are some legitimate judgments to be made. But Jesus didn't give this teaching so that we could talk about all the ways that it doesn't apply. <laughs> he gave this teaching because there is a principle here, a positive principle that is deeply needed. Uh, I know in my life, deeply needed among God's people. It's a principle that I have often failed to apply properly within my life. And so I, I'm afraid that sometimes as, as we uh, among God's people seek to, to grow in, in faith and in knowledge and in righteousness and in obedience, it, it can be easy to start developing a self-righteous, uh, arrogant or, or critical attitude towards others. Uh, And if we're not careful as we cultivate our own sanctification, we can also begin watering the the seeds of pride, uh, watering the seeds of a judgmental spirit within us. And so the question that I want us to ask today is how can we uproot the judgmental spirit? Uh, What positive attitudes can we cultivate to combat that that critical or self-righteous heart? How can we view ourselves view our brethren, view others in the world around us in a way that is consistent with God's love and God's mercy. How can we make application of this teaching here in Matthew 7? Well, to start off, I I think one attitude that we can cultivate that will help us in removing this judgmental spirit from our hearts is an attitude of humility. Look again here in Matthew chapter 7. And notice in verse 3 through 5, he he doesn't just tell us how we should not view others. He tells us how we should view ourselves. Starting in verse 3, he says, Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? And behold, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. First and foremost, this passage tells us we need to look 
internally, at our own hearts, at our own lives, uh, and first evaluate our own hearts, look introspectively at the way that we are living, uh, before we would draw our attention towards the spiritual lives of other people around us. And I think what we'll find is that if we give the, the proper attention and the proper time and the proper energy into our spiritual relationship with the Lord, we're not going to have a whole lot of time to uh, you know, put police the spiritual lives of other people around us or stand in judgment over others' relationship with the Lord. First and foremost, God tells me I need to look internally. I need to look at my heart. James chapter 1, verse 23 through 25, how does it describe that we need to look at God's word there? James doesn't say that we look into God's word as a microscope or as a magnifying glass to, to look at other people's lives or the problems in our society or uh, our, our neighbors. He says we look into God's word as a mirror. When I look at God's word, I'm looking at myself. God's word is not intended to show us everything that is wrong with our society and wrong with our culture and our government and our neighbors. First and foremost, God's word is intended to show me what's wrong with me, what I need to change, what I need to grow in, the things that I need to work on. That needs to be my perspective, my attitude as I come to God's word. And if that is the attitude that I have, first getting the plank out of my own eye, I'm going to have, I'm going to find plenty of reason to be humble. If I'm looking into God's word as a mirror, I'm going to recognize how, fall, how far short I fall, how much I need to grow in. Turn your Bibles to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, later on in the, in the same epistle here, James talks about this attitude of humility that we need to have. Starting in verse 6, he says, God is opposed to the power, but gives grace to the humble. And he goes on to talk about this attitude of humility that we need to submit to God. In verse 9, he says, Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. When we look at our own sins, we need to rend our garments before the Lord, to rend our hearts. We need to uh, grieve over what we see within ourselves. And in verse 10, it says, Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. But as James goes on, notice what he says in verse 11 and 12. He's just established this attitude of humility that I need to have before God. And then in verse 11 and 12, he says, Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? I need to focus in on that last question. Who are you to judge your neighbor? If we have the proper attitude about ourselves, the proper attitude about our own shortcomings and our own faults, the humility that he describes at the first part of this passage, then I'm going to recognize that I'm in no position to stand in judgment to police the spiritual lives of other people around me. That it's not my place to sit on the judgment seat in God's courtroom of justice. I'm not in the jury box. I'm not on the witness stand. I am the accused. I am the guilty. I am the convicted in that courtroom. And so here he says that I have no right 
to set, sit as the judge over other people. I have no right to set myself up as an interpreter or administrator of the law. First and foremost, I am a subject of the law. And I need to be striving to be a doer of the law. That's the role that God has given me. Uh, and if this applies in our relationship with our brethren, not to speak against or, or judge our brethren, how much more should it apply in our relationship with the world around us? Notice 1 Corinthians 5, verse 12 and 13. Here, Paul has been talking about some legitimate areas of judgment, some areas in which we, we do need to take care for the purity of the Lord's church, to look out for the spiritual well-being of the local flock, to keep one another accountable by the authority of the judge. But he says in verse 12 and 13, For what have I do, have to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside, God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. He's saying, yes, there are some times, some legitimate times, which by the authority of the judge, we need to uh, take care for the spiritual well-being of the flock, remove the wicked man from our midst. But he says, it's not our place to judge those in the world around us. And it, so many times that's our first reaction. I read God's word and I think, well, our society really needs to hear this. So-and-so really needs to hear this. But he says, no, God is the judge. My role as it applies to others in the world around me is not to be a judge. My, my role is to be a shining light, to shine the light of God's truth, to share the good news of salvation, to point others towards God, but it's not my role to sit in judgment over people's lives. It's not my role to, to be the moral police of my neighborhood or, or my Facebook friends. As, as a disciple of Jesus, our primary role today is, is not to be even prophets of judgment. We see there, there was a, a place for that. But our, our primary role, we're told in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, is to be ambassadors of reconciliation. We are to be messengers of salvation. Jesus in John 3, and verse 17, after verse 16, where it talks about how God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In verse 17, it says, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Yes, there is a proper place for judgment. And, and we, we could spend a lesson talking about that. And, and there are some Bible passages that, that would apply to that. But I think what we really need to hear, and what this passage is that we're looking at in Matthew 7 is emphasizing, is that our role and our responsibility is not to be the judge. God is the judge. There's not uh, enough room on the judgment seat for two people. God's sitting on the judgment seat. And if I'm going to set myself up as the judge, I am challenging his authority. I'm challenging his position. I'm no longer recognizing myself as being one under judgment. I'm setting myself up as the judge. I need to recognize that that is not where I stand. If we have a, a proper understanding of where we stand before God, and where we stand in relationship with other people, we're not going to be setting ourselves up as the judge. We're going to let God fulfill that role. Luke chapter 18, you remember the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. 
We can't have the attitude of the Pharisee there. The one who, who trusted in himself that he was righteous and viewed others with contempt. You know, instead of being like the Pharisee who, who looks at the tax collector and says, God, I thank you that I am not like uh, the unjust, like swindlers, like adulterers, or even like this tax collector. What I need to be saying is, is getting down on my knees next to the adulterer and the, the sinner and the tax collector and said, God, be merciful to us, the sinners. That should be my position. I'm not on some higher plane looking down on others. No, I am a sinner in need of God's grace. And if by God's grace I am sanctified and I'm saved, that, that's not to my credit. That, that's not for something for me to boast in. Uh, and so if we have a proper view of ourselves, a proper view of ourselves as, as subjects underneath the law of God, subjects to the judge, then it will help us not have this judgmental attitude towards others around us. That's not our role. Our role is to be lights, to be ambassadors of reconciliation, messengers of salvation. But secondly, if we have this proper view of ourselves, not of being on some higher moral plane, but being on the same moral plane as, as all in the world around us, and humility, it's also going to cultivate a heart of compassion and empathy. We're, we're going to recognize that, that we um, are in the same shoes uh, and that we are going to have that proper care for others who are struggling in sin. Turn uh, back to Matthew 7. Notice in verse 1 and 2 here. Here we see the passage encourages us to consider how we would want to be judged before we pass judgment on others. It says in verse 1 and 2, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. The question I need to be asking here is how would I want to be judged? If I was in their shoes, how, how would I want others to view me? How would I want others to treat me? And this is really an extension of the golden rule. Later on in the same passage, Matthew 7 and verse 12, Jesus says, In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. Uh, the second greatest command, love your neighbor as yourself. And so if I'm loving others as I love myself, if I'm treating others as I would want them to treat me, I also need to judge others the way I would want them to judge me. Uh, we need to uh, cultivate this empathy with others. And, and this can be a very difficult thing to apply. How do I judge others the way that I want to be judged? Because there's a very subtle difference between judging others in the way that I want to be judged and judging others by my own personal standard. Because many times what happens is I, I look at myself and I, I see my strengths and my weaknesses and I set them as the standard, as the expectation for other people around me. You know, I, I may be somebody who is an early riser and I am a go-getter. I, I keep a packed schedule. I'm an energetic worker, always on the go. And so the person that, you know, will sleep in a little bit in the morning and the person that, that doesn't keep as strict of a schedule as I do, well, 
you know, they're, they're just lazy. They're, they're just not being the person that God wants them to be. Or maybe I'm extremely frugal. Maybe one of my strengths is that I am a, a good steward, uh, keeping a strict budget, avoiding unnecessary expenditures. And, and that person that spent a lot on their home renovation, well, they're just not as good of a steward as I am. And it could be so many other things. Maybe I'm a very outgoing person, and it comes natural to me to, to in, interact with other people socially. And so the person that's shy and finds it harder to, to communicate in a way that is friendly and welcoming, well, they, they just have a problem that they need to work on. And so judging others as we want to be judged does not mean setting up my personal strengths and weaknesses as the standard. Uh, it doesn't mean that I, I look at myself, my own strengths and weaknesses, and I, I set a mold for others to fit into. And while with all of those things that we just mentioned, there's some biblical principles there. there there's a biblical principle uh, of diligence, a biblical principle of, of stewardship, of, of being friendly and, and warm and welcoming. But what often happens is I put more emphasis on the ones that I'm strong in. And the ones that I'm weak in, well, I'm, I'm willing to make a few more concessions for people about that because I understand. Because that's what I deal with. Well, loving others as we love ourselves, judging others as we judge ourselves, does not mean trying to put other people in my shoes. It means putting myself in their shoes. It means being just as understanding of their weaknesses, whether they be different than my own, as I want them to be about my weaknesses. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 through 7, we read this description of love. And really what we're talking about here with empathy and with the next point that we're going to make as well is judging others in love. But notice here in, in verse 6 and 7, it says, Love does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Here we see that, that love is not one that is going to highlight the faults of others. Love is something that is going to seek out the good in others. It's going to give others the benefit of the doubt. And I think that's part of the idea with love, believing all things and hoping all things, is it believes the best, it hopes the best, it desires the best in other people. It highlights the good. And I think this especially can, can be applied within the body of Christ. If, if you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I, I think among our brethren we see this uh, applied very, very directly in how we view others, how we view each other's unique sets of strengths and weaknesses. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 21, Paul writes, And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on those we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentables have no need of it, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to the member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Talk about judging others as you judge yourself, treating others as you would want to be treated. 
when, when we think about this body illustration, uh, that, that's really what we're applying here. Treating one another as parts of our own body. And how do we apply that? Well, what we see here is the hand uh, can't, you know, look down on the feet and despise the feet's lack of dexterity. Well, you know, uh, if only the feet could be a hand. Or the, the mouth can't despise the ears and, and uh, look down on the, their lack of ability to communicate. Well, no, we each have different strengths and different weaknesses. We're going to have different things that we struggle with different things that, that come naturally and easy to us. And, and I can't, you know, judge the rest of the body by the hand standard. No, they're going to have different gifts. They're going to have different strengths and different weaknesses. And so I need to be just as understanding, just as empathetic, just as supportive to those who have different strengths and different weaknesses than I do, just as I would want them to be towards me. My goal is to build them up, to help them see the value of their gifts that God has given them. Those that we deem as weaker, those that we deem as less presentable, what does God tell us our attitude should be towards them? It's not looking down and saying, well, you know, if, if only you were able to preach like I was able to. If, if only you were able to lead singing like I was able to. No, it says our, our attitude, our goal is, is to honor them, is to show them the honor that they do deserve in, in the uh, role that they play within the body and seeking to build them up, encourage them, show them the value of God's gifts given to them. And so what, what is your attitude? What is my attitude as I deal with brethren in different places? Is, is my attitude, well, you know, if, if only you felt as passionately about this as I felt about this. If only you were able to, to handle things this way, how, how I handle them. Brethren, I need to have the attitude that I recognize that if everybody in the church was just like me, it would be a pretty weak church. Because I'm just one part of the body. We each have strengths and weaknesses, and we need to be understanding, to be supportive to one another. In that. And we need to seek, as we look at each individual in this room, to focus on their gifts, on what they have to offer, on the things that we can show them honoring, and build them up and encourage them in that. Romans chapter 12 and verse 10 tells us, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, giving preference to one another in honor. Some versions say, outdoing one another in showing honor. I need to be seeking to show as much honor to other parts of the body as I can. Not, not just recognizing the value of what I have to offer, but recognizing the value of what they have to offer. Even those that, that might not be as, as public, uh, you know, like, like preaching or song leading, even those who, who are serving more in the background, I need to be seeking to honor those for what they have to offer in the Lord's work. Prover uh, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3 says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Some versions say better than yourselves. What is our attitude to be here? Often our attitude is that we are more in tune to our own good qualities and our own strengths, and we treat them with greater importance. He says, you need to be more in tune to other people's strengths. You need to put less emphasis uh, 
on the, the bad qualities of others and seek to, to build them up, um, eager to be gracious to their shortcomings. And so if we want to have the attitude of Christ, if we want to have the attitude of God, we need to have this empathetic spirit, uh, putting ourselves in other people's shoes as we may deal with, with even their shortcomings. But this leads us to a third area, and that's cultivating an attitude of mercy. You know, maybe this isn't just a matter of strengths and weaknesses. Maybe this isn't a, a matter of perspective. Maybe this is a matter of right and wrong. Maybe they're doing something that really is wrong, something they really need to grow in, they need to change. What is my attitude about that? Do I say, well, I'm right, so I, I, can, I can view them with contempt. I, I can judge them now since, since the truth is on my side. Not at all. Now, what, what we see in Matthew 7, as we uh, looked at this, this illustration of, of taking the, the plank out of your own eye before taking the speck out of your brother's eye, what, what's the goal there? Is the goal to point out the speck in my brother's eye? To tell other people about the speck in my brother's eye? No, the goal is to help him get the speck out of his eye. The goal is to help to build up. And so even if there is something wrong in someone else's life, my attitude is not, well, if they would just get their act together. You know, if, if, if only they had this figured out the way I have this figured out. My first reaction needs to be, what can I do to help them? What can I do to help them grow? And that needs to be the conversation that we have. That needs to be the conversation I have with myself as I encounter other people's sins and shortcomings. You know, I, I can't have the attitude of the Pharisees saying, I, I thank you that I'm not like swindlers and not like unjust and adulterers and tax collectors. What the Pharisees should have been saying is, God, how can I help adulterers? How can I help tax collectors? How can I build them up? How can I draw them towards you? That needs to be the attitude. That needs to be the focus. James chapter 2 and verse 13 encourages this attitude of mercy towards us. It says, From judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Instead of being quick to judge, I need to be quick to show mercy. And you... You know, I think sometimes we feel like, well, I'll show mercy, you know, but, but some people just aren't, aren't deserving of mercy. The very definition of mercy is showing love towards people who are not deserving. That's what it means. And I need to recognize that I'm not deserving. That God, when I was a sinner, when I was rebelling against him, when I was his enemy, he reached out to me in love and to mercy. If I want him to be merciful towards me, I need to extend that type of mercy and love towards those around us. Notice Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Here we read, Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you go tell them that they're wrong. No, that's not what it says. It says, Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. It doesn't say if someone else is caught in a trespass, you look down your notice at them. It doesn't say, you know, you tell them everything that they're doing wrong or tell them everything that they need to change. It says, restore them. It says, bear their burden. Rebuking 
is often a lot easier, requires a lot less effort than restoring. Restoring means that I get down on my knees next to them and help them carry that burden. It means that I reach out and mercy towards them to seek to help. Brethren, Christians could accomplish a lot more good in the world and among ourselves if we spend a little less effort pointing out everything wrong and a little more effort seeking to help fix what's wrong. It's not just our role to, to point out what's wrong. It's our role to help, to encourage, to build up, to strengthen, to bear each other's burdens. And when we encounter shortcomings and sin of others around us, we need to have the attitude of Jesus. Remember in Luke chapter 15, when it talks about the lost sheep, what does the shepherd do when one of his 100 sheep goes astray? Does he sit around with the rest of the flock and talk about so-and-so? about how, you know, so-and-so was just never very good at listening. So-and-so was never very good at following around, and look, he, he went and got himself lost. Is that what the shepherd does? No. The shepherd leaves the 99. He goes out to find the one that was lost and to carry him home. That's the attitude of Jesus, and that's the attitude that we need to have. In verse 7, it says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents, and over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Brethren, this brings the greatest joy to the heart of God when a sinner turns back to him. We need to have the heart of God. We need to have a heart that finds no greater joy than to bring the lost back to their Savior, than to reach out to those who are oppressed and enslaved to sin, and seek to bring them back to the shepherd, to the great physician. You know, can you imagine a physician who had this attitude that we were talking about? You know, if, if a little boy comes in with a broken arm and the physician spends half an hour lecturing him on, uh, you know, bone health and safety, well, of course not. No, the first thing that the physician is going to do is help him heal that broken bone. Brother, we can't just kind of throw the scriptures at people. We need to be seeking to help them. And that means teaching them, yes. That means shining the light of God's word upon them. That means educating them, helping them grow. But, but the attitude and, and the approach is that we're going to do whatever is needed to mend that broken bone. We're going to do whatever is needed to help that lost person become found. We need the heart of the shepherd, the heart of the physician, the heart of the loving father. Not the heart of the older brother in Luke 15, who after the, the prodigal son has gone astray and he comes back, while his father is rejoicing, he's sitting there saying, well, you really didn't deserve it though. That can't be us. Brother, we need the heart of our loving father. And if we want to be shown mercy, which there is no question that we deeply need, then we need to be willing to show that same mercy towards others. And the way that you judge, you will be judged. And so what do you see in the mirror of God's word today? 
Do you see some change that you need to make? Do you need to, to stop being the, the moral police and start being ambassadors of reconciliation? Do you need to get some plank, some speck out of your eye before you can seek to help others? Maybe you need the help of these brethren in that. Brethren, that's, that's why we're here. We're here to help each other, bear each other's burdens, to help each other in our relationship with the Lord. And if there's anything that we can do to help you today in your relationship with the Lord, that's what we want to do. You have a loving father, a great physician, a caring shepherd who wants to welcome you into his flock, into his family. If you recognize today that you're not in a right relationship with the Lord, don't leave these doors today without making that right with him. God in his grace wants to save you. He wants to cleanse you of your sins. He wants to give you a hope of eternal life in his presence. If there's anything that we can do to help you, we ask that you'll let us know uh, this time as we sing.